let's turn back to the book of Acts uh, 8 and retake up the topic of Evangelism 101. I started this two weeks ago, um, and, and did, did, it kind of intentionally didn't finish it because I knew it would be too much for one night. But this was talking about um, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip and looking specifically at how Philip um, went about evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch. We really only read about three verses, or covered about three verses two weeks ago. We started in Acts chapter 28, verse 26, where we first we just see that Philip arose and went to the desert at the call, at God's calling, the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Philip, and, Philip and, and he said, go to the desert, and Philip just arose and went. It was obedience-driven action. He probably went out of his way probably wasn't planning to go to the desert that day, he may have been, um, but nevertheless, he arose and went, and so sometimes it requires change of plans when we're evangelizing, and the next thing we saw is that Philip, in verse um, 29, he went near, and he joined himself to that chariot, that's Acts eight twenty-nine, and so he was initiating relationship, closeness, getting near, actually joining and banding together with the eunuch, not just holding him at a distance, but, but coming alongside of him. And then we'll see in a minute, actually jumps up in the chariot and literally starts ri just riding in the, you know, it's like a, a long plane ride or a long car ride where, where you just have an opportunity to talk to somebody, and that's what was going on here. But now we want to take up in verse 30. So I'll just read Acts 38, 30, and then we'll just go down till, we'll just read till the end of the chapter, which is in verse um, 40. So read 10 verses. So in, in Acts 8, 30, we read this. And Philip ran thither to him, to the eunuch, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and, and said unto him, Eunuch, do you understand? Understandest thou what thou readest? And the eunuch said, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a, slam dumb, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down into the water, and both Philip and the eunuch, and, and the eunuch was baptized. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, <coughs> and that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So back to Evangelism 101, part 2, and starting in verse 30, the first thing I want to know, to pull the first point from verse 30, Philip starts asking 
him questions. So the point could be ask people questions. Notice what Philip does. He runs uh, to the eunuch. He hears him. So he, he hears him out. He understands he's reading something about God already. He's reading Isaiah. And so Philip asks him a question about what he is reading. He says, understandest thou what thou readest? So Philip doesn't just jump in and start dominating the conversation and just assuming things about, about what the eunuch thinks and what the eunuch already believes. Um, just not that long ago, I was talking to somebody who, um, you know, they, they believed in Jesus, but they thought that he was just a good teacher. They didn't think he was the son of God. They didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Um, and so by asking this person questions, I was able to figure out, like, exactly what they're dealing with. So, how, you know, had you just gone in there and start saying, well, look, Jesus actually, you need to believe that Jesus existed. You know, well, th- they do believe that Jesus exists, but that's not enough. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the, the life. No man comes unto the Father but, but by me. And then and in John um, chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so, you know, the person that I was talking to was like, well, Jesus was a good teacher. And I've heard Elder Bradley make the point that, well, if, if Jesus was just a, a, a good teacher, then he wasn't good. He was a liar because Jesus says that he was the son of God. But I, but I only say all that to know that if it wasn't for asking questions, sometimes you don't know what the real issues are. And so Philip starts asking him questions. He, he hears him out. He hears what he's reading. He starts asking him questions. So, asking him questions and so philip understands what the real issues are that the eunuch is dealing with and so i think when you're evangelizing people it's important to ask them questions understand what are the issues they are dealing with so that we don't just jump to conclusions and start dominating um the conversation and assuming things proverbs 18 verse 13 says he that answereth a matter before he heareth it it is folly and shame unto him and so if you just go in and start assuming things about what people believe, then uh, you're, you're answering a matter before you hear it. See, Paul, see uh, Philip heard, he heard him, this is Acts 8.30, Philip heard the eunuch read the prophet Isaiah. So what's happening? He's hearing it. And so he's answering a matter um, after he hears it. Not only that, he's answering a matter after he's heard and asked questions. So... Philip hears him out. He asks the eunuch questions about what he's reading. Do you understand this? And then he answers the matter. So he doesn't answer the matter before he hears it. And then, you know, Proverbs says that if we do do that, if we do answer a matter before we hear it and just jump to conclusions, we can expect this to be folly and shame. And that's been our experience too, I think. But notice what happens next. The eunuch now desires Philip that he would come up and sit with him. This is Acts 8.31b, the second half of that verse. And so by Philip, kind of, you know, Philip kind of initiated the relationship. He went near. He joined himself to the chariot. I can kind of see him like standing you know, on the side, close but not too close. You know, don't want to freak people out right away. Um, but he, 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 nevertheless, he goes and he joins himself to the chariot. And now the, the eunuch is like, man, now that you have really initiated a relationship with me and you've you've heard me you've asked me questions now the eunuch starts inviting philip to come closer i think that's what we can expect too if we if we go near we join ourselves with people you know don't freak them out don't get all up in their personal space but still initiating relationship 
and in hearing them out, asking them questions um, so that we're not answering in a matter before we hear it. When we do those things, I think we can expect then people to start inviting us more into their lives, which gives opportunities to evangelize, to invite people to church, to, to just be let our light shine in their life. And so that's what's happening here. The eunuch is now inviting Philip into his life so that Philip will have the opportunity to evangelize, to be a light in his life. And he noticed that it d- he didn't have like tons of time with, with, with the eunuch. You know, when we skip down to Acts 8, um, 40, just a little while later, Philip's off preaching in different cities, and God has a lot of things for Philip to do, and he's busy, just like we are. But Philip makes the most of that opportunity for that season. There may be a, so, so there's just a season of life where Philip is literally going alongside and sitting in the same chariot with the eunuch, and he makes the most out of that season. So for you, it could be, you know, maybe you're on a job assignment with a certain person and you're going on long car rides right now and or going on a flying, maybe you're sitting beside someone on an airplane or on the night shift or, you know, your kid's on a ball team with some other person and you have this window of opportunity to be a light in that person's life. That can make a lasting impact. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, not as, uh, uh, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Life, you never know what life is going to throw at you. You, you. This could be the only chance you get to really just be a light in this person's life, to, to make a difference, to invite them to church, or just you know, share the gospel with them, and, or even if they already know who the Lord is. You know, this, there's also a place for for encouraging the you know backsliding downtrodden Christians who need a light and who need Jesus and this could be a perfect maybe we have an experience where where God is saying look redeem the time um, that the Hebrew the Greek underlying redeeming the time has been translated making the most out of every opportunity so make the most of this opportunity redeem this time that you're going alongside somebody may this for be for a season like it was with Philip and the eunuch, and, and be a light to them, and um, whether that be evangelizing them for the first time or just encouraging someone who already knows the Lord. Um, because God's using that too, and there's a big need for just encouraging downtrodden, backsliding Christians. God, God uses that. He, he, God uses encouragement from other Christians in our, in our preservation of the saints. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, exhort one another daily. Exhort one another. So this is within the household of faith. This is within Christianity. You exhort one another while it's called today. You redeem the time. You know you have today. We don't know about tomorrow. Hebrews 4, 13, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest, here's the alternative, any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So where there's no exhortation, where there's no encouragement from other believers, um, where, where, where that kind of falls off, you can expect a hardening, just a moving away from God, you know, just a backsliding. So the writer of Hebrews says to counteract hard, becoming hardened and deceived, 
To counteract being hardened and deceived by sin, exhort one another. Christians exhorting each other. And so there's a huge place for that too in our evangelism and our letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father uh, in heaven. And so next we want to look at what, 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 what Philip started doing when um, next, what, is, what Philip started doing next. So Philip asked him, do you, do you, are you understanding what you're reading? And then the eunuch comes back with a follow-up question, and he says, how can I unless some man guide me? I need to be guided. And notice what uh, Philip does. He meets the eunuch where he is and leads them to the gospel. That's the fourth point. Meet people where they are, lead them to the gospel. Now, in this case, Philip kind of had a, a lot of his work already done for him because, because God in his sovereignty had this man reading the Bible. Where he was was in, was in Isaiah 53. And um, so he, he really was, he's already reading the gospel. He was reading the gospel as it was portrayed in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. But nevertheless, Philip still met him where he was. He didn't say, well, here's like 10 other scriptures that I'm more familiar with and would rather talk about. And so we'll talk about those instead. No, he, he look, look, what, look what happens. In Acts chapter 8, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. He, like, he's just now really is opening his mouth. Like he's been, he, he's asked him questions. Like he's heard the, he, he's read the text, presumably, because we, we see the text. Here was Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. So after just taking all of this information into consideration, asking the eunuch questions, understanding what text he's actually reading, and understanding what the actual issues are. And, and, and now that the, the eunuch has, he trusts um, Philip and he's invited him to come sit with him in the chariot. Like at this point is when Philip opens his mouth. But look what he does when he opens his mouth. He began at the same scripture. He started where eunuch was and look what he does. He preached unto him Jesus. He started where he was. He led him to the gospel because to see Jesus is to see the gospel. Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel. But what was the text? What was the text? Because we have to understand the gospel. And uh, Philip needed nothing more than the text the eunuch was reading to preach unto him Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 32. We'll just read the, the text um, of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, as quoted in Acts. The place of the scripture where the eunuch read was this. This is Acts 8.32. He, Jesus, was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. I'll keep reading. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you, was Isaiah speaking of himself or was he speaking of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. He started at the same scripture and he preached 
unto him Jesus. And he really, he really is answering the eunuch's question. Because the eunuch said, was he talking about himself or was he talking about some other man? Well, Philip preached unto him Jesus, we'll say. Mr. Eunuch, Isaiah was talking about Jesus, and that's exactly what I'm going to preach to you about. And he takes him to the gospel. I mean, look at the, I wanna, there's so many things you could focus on in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. But let's just kind of hang on that word humiliation. Jesus was humiliated in his humiliation. John Gill says, the humiliation or lowest state of Christ lay in his assumption of human nature with the weakness and imperfections of it, in the meanness of his parentage and education, in the sorrows he endured from cradle to cross. Matthew 27, verses 28 and 29, says that the, Roger, the Roman soldiers stripped Jesus and they put a, a scarlet robe on him to mock him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They placed a reed in his hand as if it were a scepter. The book of Luke in chapter 23 says they set Jesus at naught, which means they belittled him. That was humiliating. Acts 8 says, in Jesus' humiliation, this is Acts 8.33, quoting Isaiah 53, in Jesus' humiliation, his judgment was taken away. All that stuff in Matthew 27, that was humiliating. Matthew 27, 31 says the Roman soldiers then took the same reed that they put in his hands as if it were a scepter, and they beat him over the head with it. That was humiliating. Matthew 27, 34 says that they gave him vinegar mixed with gall, which is some bitter um, minerals. Uh, to, they gave, that's what they gave Jesus to drink when he was thirsty. That was humiliating. Matthew 27, 35 says they crucified him. That was humiliating. But Philippians 2, verses 6 and 8 say this, that Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So once again, and that's, that's a good text I, I, I could use with my friend who doesn't think Jesus was um, God. No, he, it wasn't robbery for Jesus to be equal with God. Jesus didn't think it was robbery because it wasn't. Because Jesus is God. And so that's why it wasn't robbery for him to be equal with God because Jesus is equal with God. He and the Father are one. So Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Philippians 2, 6, <coughs> but made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And that was Philippians 2.7, now Philippians 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. But it's not just like any old humbling. I mean, what we just read about in Matthew 27, that is humiliation. He humbled, we see the root word for humble. The root word for humble and humiliation is the same. Like, this is the ultimate humbling yourself. 
This is humiliation that Jesus went through. We just saw specific examples of, of why it was so humiliating. But why would Jesus do a thing like this? Remember, Philip is preaching unto him Jesus. And now we don't know exactly what Philip said in his sermon, but we know that his sermon was the gospel. And so what we're talking about right now is the gospel. Jesus was humiliated. He was, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a reed in his hand to mock him. They had set him at naught. They, they gave him gall and vinegar to drink, and then they crucified him. And, and all of that, he, what was he doing? He was humbling himself unto death, even the death of the cross, and that was humiliation. And that's what Isaiah 53, verse 7, foretold and prophesied about, that it would be in Jesus' humiliation that his judgment would be taken away. But why would Jesus do a thing like that? Well, Go back to John 3, verses 14 through 16. One of the most you know, well-known verses in the entire Bible. John 3, 14 says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, crucified. John three fifteen That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But we still haven't answered the question, why would Jesus subject himself to the type of humiliation that we've been speaking about? Can't answer that. We look at John 3.16, for God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course we know in the same chapter there in John 3, who is it that's going to believe in the Son and have everlasting life? Those that are born again. John, uh, Jesus would tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. But for those that are born again, for those who are quickened together with Christ, who are the, for those who, according to Ephesians 2, are made alive together with Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 says, right? But God, but God so loved us, that he made us alive together with Christ. I feel like I'm kind of messing up the wording, so I'm just going to turn there really quick and look at, let's read that verse about God's love. It's God's love that moved him to be humiliated and to take upon himself the form of a servant and to die for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4, for his great love, God so loved the world, he didn't love everyone in the world he loved his people out of the world but it was for God's rich mercy and his love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins he quickened us or made us alive together with Christ so it was God's love that caused him to go through humiliation and to humble himself to the death of the cross for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it was, God so, it was God's love that moved him to cause you, a child of God, to be made alive together with Christ. God so loved his people that he gave his only begotten son to die. And God so loves you that he made you, believer, he made you alive together with Christ. So it was God's love for you 
that took him to the cross and that kept him there until it was accomplished. And that's the message that the eunuch received from Philip. That's the gospel. And he believed it. And now in conclusion, an exhortation to baptism. So uh, reading in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's, here's water. What depended me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And as they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, he baptized. So in this verse, we see the proper candidate for baptism. Here in Acts uh, 3.36, the Ethiopian eunuch now has heard the gospel, and he has a desire to be baptized and to publicly unite himself uh, with Christ. He wants to profess his faith in Christ. And so, you know, once again, providentially, they've, they've come across a certain water. I think Andrew Huffman preached a good sermon on the different, the certains, the certain places, the certain people, the certain waters of the Bible. This is some certain water. And it says that the, the eunuch and Philip, they go down into the water and... Philip baptized the eunuch upon a certain condition. What was the condition? The eunuch said, is there anything that hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, do you believe with all your heart? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you're ready to be baptized. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God proper candidate for baptism is a professing believer in Jesus Christ and a professing believer in Jesus Christ alone. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21 says that baptism is the answer of a good conscience towards God. Philip knew the eunuch had a good conscience towards God because he said, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with all of my heart. And so that made him a proper candidate for believer's baptism, which is the only legitimate baptism. It's the baptism of a professing believer in Jesus Christ. And, and we notice what Philip doesn't say. So, you know, um, the, the eunuch says, what hinders me from being baptized? So Philip said, well, I have a 15-page examination. It covers uh, election, it covers end times prophecy, and it covers superlapsarian. Uh, there'll be 75 multiple choice questions, 30 true or false, and then five essays at the end. You'll have two hours, and I'll be reading a book if you need any help. That's not what he said. He said, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all of your heart, you're ready to be baptized. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that word believe, it, it, in the Greek, it takes on the connotation also of trusting of having confidence in, like we don't, we don't have evidence that the eunuch knew all about election and superlapsarianism and end times prophecy, but we we have evidence that he knew the gospel based on what Philip had presented to him, starting at the same text in Isaiah fifty three, how Jesus was humiliated and he was taken as a lamb 
to the slaughter. And then Philip started at that text and he preached unto him Jesus and, and, and the love of Jesus and that it was his love that took him to the cross for you. So that's what Philip knew about. He knew the basic gospel. That's what we have evidence that he knew about. We have evidence that he knew the basic gospel and he was baptized. He was a professing believer in Jesus Christ. And that's what made him a proper candidate for baptism. And now a disciple has been made and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And that is evangelism 101. May God help us to be better evangelists, better encouragers of our fellow believers. May God bless you. Thank you for your participation.